Quiet, please. Log Talk Radio.
Now, Mick transitioned into acting under the direction of famed British acting director Keith Allen for the BBC, and since moving to Los Angeles, he continues to work as an actor. Now, as a writer, he's been scripts with Gabriel Byrne and Joanne Whaley and Patrick Bergen uh, and others, and he is the author of several original screenplays, including the Lionsgate hit, Played. And Mick stars as the lead uh, role of Ray Burns and played opposite a studded cast, a star-studded cast, including Val Kilmer, Gabriel Byrne, Vinnie Jones, Anthony LaPaglia, uh, Patrick Bergen, and the late, great Bruno Kirby. Joanne Whaley and uh, Patsy turns uh, it. Now, Played took home awards for the Best Picture at the Hollywood Film Festival and Best Original Screenplay at the Malibu International Film Festival. He followed up Played with the dramatic heist film 222, directed by Philip Guzman and produced by uh, Canadian producer Lenny Batondo. I hope I said his name correctly. He co-wrote 222 with the director, Philip Guzman, and he also co-produced 222. His latest project is the dark psychological thriller. We're going to be discussing that today, as well as other things. A Kiss and a Promise, which he also penned with Guzman. Mick plays the leading role of David Beck, a sociopath, uh, opposite actress Natasha Gregson-Wagner. A Kiss and a Promise was produced by Lenny Batondo, and it, and, and uh, without any further hesitation, let me bring on my guest. Good morning, Mick. Are you there? Yes, I'm here, Rex. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, and you pronounce our producer's name perfectly. It is Batondo. Oh, well, that's good to know. I'm glad I didn't uh, massacre another name. So Um, I appreciate that. Uh, Well, this is very fascinating. I mean, you know... uh, one, uh, we, we should talk a little bit, perhaps, if you don't mind. I, I, I know that I hadn't planned to ask you this, but a little bit about your musical background. Sure, sure, sure. Um, go ahead. Well, just, I mean, what was it like being in a, in, a, in a band that has now the status of being one of the bands that formed the punk rock movement and, and all these years later? Well, when would you say the punk rock movement came around? Because, I mean, in, 19, in or I would say in the 80s in Los Angeles is when we, I think, first started noticing um, a difference in the way kids younger than us, I mean, I was in my 20s or maybe 25 by that time, um, were dressing and acting in the music that they were listening to. You know, we'd just come off this, like, disco thing with uh, uh, Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> and right, there right, was right. A, you know, a big difference in, in, in music. Well, in, in England, it was, you could sense something was, was happening around, uh, uh, around 77, I'd say, as early as that. And... Um, I mean, I think it pretty much started with a handful of bands, and we was one of the the, the handful of bands. There was the Sex Pistols, the Clash, uh-huh. the Damned, um, the Stranglers, and a couple of other bands. And uh, you, you just sensed there was a, there was this 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 movement bubbling under the surface, and then there was a lot of like uh, uh, yeah, disco and, and, and concept bands, you know. Um, and uh, it was a great time, man. It really, really was because once once uh, Britain got a hold of this. And uh, the press got a hold of it. It was l- it was like a whole movement of music, uh, uh, and whether you could play, it didn't matter. I mean, there was good, there was bad in there, but but it, but the, the the one the one main message was it was it was it was a solid focus of change, 
and really uh, uh, against the establishment and against what music we were being fed and, uh, and piped into our homes by the radio and TV. Uh, so it was a great time for me. It really was a great time. It, it was a great time to, uh, to, to you know, try and find yourself. And I was lucky enough to uh, to do it through music when I was younger. Uh, and certainly with Slaunt the Dogs, we got a record deal. I think within about eight months of um, of starting, because um, what what had happened is 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 there was more and more bands forming. I mean, literally every week there was a new band forming, and so the record labels were scrambling to you know have their their own little punk rock band. We actually signed to Decca Records. Um, uh, uh, I said, yeah, about eight, eight months in. And they, they were pretty cool, you know. I mean, it was uh, I think it was a little risky for them to have a punk rock band because they weren't known for having that type of label. But it was really a lot of fun, a lot of fun, and uh, it, it helped me grow as, a, as a, an artist and... Uh, I just loved every minute of it, and I, I look back on those days with great memories. I mean, we played with the uh, Sex Pistols, we played with the Damned, wow. the Clash, um, and, and you know, you're up and down the freeway, and you would bump into a, a band at a truck stop, and they'd be going to Newcastle, and you'd be going to Liverpool, and 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 what was really refreshing, Rex, then was the, there was no rivalry or ego. It was just like everyone was like, yeah, go and get them, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're doing this gig tomorrow night, and uh, down in Liverpool, we, we're up in London. And, and it was just terrific. It was great times. Loved every minute of it. Oh, that's awesome. And 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 now you transitioned into acting. I mean, right. in other words, you, you're on stage, you're performing, you're playing, and somehow you decided, I want to act too? Yeah. Well, <laughs> where I was from, I grew, I grew up in a place called Manchester, England, which was a very working class and still is a very working class poor neighborhood. And I, I, I was always fascinated by acting, but I was too embarrassed to to tell people I wanted to be an actor because most of the people I knew, they'd be like, why don't you be a drug dealer like everybody else, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. So I always found it, uh, uh, you know, I didn't have the confidence to say, yeah, I want to be an actor. And and what hit me uh, as a young kid is is I saw a, a Dog Day Afternoon, Al Pacino movie. Uh-huh. Sure. And, and I was just like stunned by by the story, first of all, and, um, and, and uh, you know, seeing Al Pacino for the first time and and that stayed with me because I saw that real early on when I was young and and uh and uh, yeah yeah it stayed with me but as I said I was always a little embarrassed to to say I wanted to be an actor and uh, then I moved to London and um I ran into this guy who who became my friend called Keith Allen now Keith is a very successful British actor of stage and film and um I was out at a club one night and he was doing this movie, a short movie, which was going to Cannes. And uh, uh, I, I said, well, I can do that. I, you know, I had the confidence to say, yeah, I can do that. I want to do that. So he made me audition in, in a bar right there and then, which I did do. Um, and he gave me a, a little role, and I think he had three lines. So, uh-huh. so that, that was wow. the start of it. But he was so nice and gracious. And I, I tell you, was in that was Bob Peck who was in uh, Jurassic Park, and a, 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 uh-huh. an actress called Amanda Donahue. Uh, she's done a ton of stuff, too. She was actually married to Adam Ant, who was one of the uh, late of uh, Gone sure. Rock uh, guys. And, they, you know, that was my first uh, uh, taste into acting. Uh, I mean, I was nervous as hell. I had two lines, and I was saying them all night, all night, over and over again. And uh, uh, But, you know, once I'd done that, I thought, yeah, I like this, you know. Uh, you know I, and I was, like, you know, trying to get a little more confidence. But that's how it started. 
Wow, that's, that's fascinating. Now, and, and then you started writing, and I mean, you're now producing, and you're acting. I mean, you're doing all these different things. Uh, plus, you're musically talented. So that I mean, <laughs> that's quite impressive. I can't I can't do a, a fraction of that. Uh, so let me <laughs> let me ask you though. You you, you uh, um, well, let's go back to like just very quickly kind of played and then the 222 and then and then uh, you know coming up with uh, a kiss and a promise which again it opens tomorrow let's let's give all that information out right now it opens tomorrow oh, it op- yeah sunset right. 5 lumley sunset 5 here in los angeles and it's 9000 sunset boulevard shameless plug there and uh, uh, uh yeah it it opens and it, and it runs uh, exclusively here in LA and uh, the, i think there's four shows a day and it's uh, it's a great movie that's, it is. It is. It's, an, it's a brilliant movie. Let me ask you this: Do you have a website or some information you can also share with listeners right now? Oh yeah, we do. Thank you, Rex. It's uh, uh, if you go to a kissandapromise dot com, that's a kissandapromise dot com. There's all uh, uh, relevant information there. You can see the trailer. You can see uh, uh, behind the scenes, the making of uh, reviews is on. It's a really, really great website that has all the current information on there, as well as the uh, uh, information for our opening here in Los Angeles. Akissnapromise.com. All right, fantastic. So, so uh, let's. I, I mentioned played and then 222. Sure. So, so could, just for the listeners who are, are trying to get into acting um, and or pursuing a career in that fashion, that transition that you made uh, and how did played come about and uh, and then 222. I'm sorry that that's such a large question, you know, to ask, but but that, that's okay. Background. Well, it, it came about, Rex. Is uh, is uh, you know, I eventually moved here to Los Angeles. Um, with my wife, who's a great actress too, uh, and um, you know, and I was doing the, the regular thing. I, I, I was uh, scouring the, the the magazines for any auditions. I didn't have an agent, and uh, I eventually found a manager who, who was willing to take take a risk on me because I was unknown. But I was getting online with you know 200 other actors playing drug dealer number one or, or thug number one. And, and I did a few of them, but I, I found it very frustrating, uh, like any, anyone would who wants to, you know, express themselves and try and get a bigger role. And that that kind of led into uh, uh, writing. And I never had any training to, to write, but I had a good street sense. And I met a, a, one of the producers of Mean Streets years ago in London when I, when I was out one night. And he gave me great advice. He just said, write what you know. Just write what you know, you know. And, and it stayed with me. So I always had a good street sensibility, I thought. And uh, and so disillusion, just trying to, trying to you know, get in and get a, a better role. You can't get a better role until you've got a better agent. You can't get a better agent until you've done something that they can see and, and feel that, you know, yeah, yeah, you, this, 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 this person has something. So it's a catch-22. So I always thought, you know, writing would be a, a good way in uh, to create your own vehicle. And and I started doing that um, before played Rex. I, I you know I have I think fourteen spec scripts where every time I'd wow. finish one I I'd go down the bottom of the hill to the copying place and I'd be like this is the one this is the one. But but what I was trying to do which, which was my mistake every time I'd finish the script this is over a period of years too. Um, uh-huh. I was trying to go after you know that that that. The, the the big budget and and a big budget for me is like you know two or three million dollars, 
Um, and it was always very, I mean, damn near impossible to, 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 to get that sort of money. You're an unknown actor. You have a screenplay that you believe in. But how, how do you get the money? And so, you know, I came close on a couple of times and, and a couple of scripts optioned but never got it made, which is incredibly frustrated. So with Played, I, I really sat down and I wanted to do something almost like DIY, DIY where you, you didn't need millions of dollars. If you had $10, you can go and shoot that day. And that really was, was my mindset and, and how that came about. So I, I sat down and consciously wrote a movie where... Uh, it didn't have big freeway chases, and it didn't have massive shootouts. Because always in my mind, I thought, look, if I can get decent money to make this, fantastic. But if I can't get any money to make it, I can still make it. And I'll make it with two corned beef sandwiches if I have to. <laughs> and and that's how, how that came about. Um, you know, that was my mindset. And I, I got very lucky with the cast on, on, on that movie, too. So. Well, that's, that is awesome. And then, and then from there, 222? Well, from 222, what what happened? We played is is uh, you know we managed to get it made, and it was a very guerrilla style, uh, uh, under the radar, shooting on the fly, and uh, uh, be, because I was lucky and, and got a few of my friends to jump in and some name actors, Lionsgate picked it up, and and through that we we got into some film festivals, and I was at a film festival in Los Angeles, and um, I was just leaving on my own. I was just leaving, and this guy came up to me and says, uh, "I really enjoyed your movie," and and I said, "Thank you," and his name was Philip Guzman, and uh -huh. um, he'd just done a movie which he'd shot for seven thousand dollars. And I saw the trailer uh, uh, at this film festival because they were in the same film festival. And I went home and watched it, and I was just blown away with uh, with what what he did, you know. And so uh, um, I called him up and, and said, I'd like to meet you with a, a producer friend of mine who, who we're, we're planning to work together. Uh, and out of that, um, Philip and I sat down, and it, I always had an idea to do something like Dog Day Afternoon, like a heist movie. Uh, as I said earlier, I was inspired by that so much. And so I wrote uh, 222 with Philip Guzman, and I was fortunate enough, because I had played as a platform, to bring in a brilliant producer called Lenny Batondo, who, who uh, had enough faith in the screenplay to, uh, to pull the trigger on it and say, yeah, let's make it. And we're in over 100 wow. countries now, which is, you know, fantastic with that. Wow. We, we we have enough to talk about in a whole other show about just how you pulled all those things off. But I, I, I do want to turn my attention right now to uh, to making this movie, um, A Kiss and a Promise, as well. Now, with all of the movies, I mean, it sounds like you made them outside the Hollywood system. I mean, another, these are truly independent uh, feature films. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it literally is, Rex. It's, I mean, totally outside the Hollywood system. I mean, we 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 operate on a, on on a very small crew. I mean, we we don't have trailers or it, it, it's just really no dressing rooms. It's it's just all about trying to every penny you get and put it on, on the screen. So you know, making a movie outside the Hollywood system is is really refreshing because a you you you're in total control of of what you're doing. Um, whether that's good or bad, you know, but you you are in control of it. You don't have to make a movie by committee. You don't have to wait six, seven months for someone to read your script. You don't have to wait another six or seven months to try and get it to an actor you want or, or an executive to say, well, you know, I like it, but we need changes. 
Uh, and I've been down that road, and before you know it, four or five years can go by. So making it outside the Hollywood system is 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 really refreshing uh, um, for us as as filmmakers. And uh, and you know, if you want to shoot that day, you can go and do it. You know, uh, that that's the beauty of it. It's literally hands-on, truly independent, no help from the studio. Um, but you have your freedom to do what you want. And plus, when the movie's done, you don't have a studio saying you can't have that ending. You know, we need to tie it up all nice in Hollywood and have a happy ending. Oh, right, you know? right, right. So, you, you know... You it, yeah, you know, I mean, certainly with with the team I work with, it's it's a, you know, it's a team effort and we all sign off on, on, on everything. But, uh, you know, it would kill you if you, if you, two years of your life, and then you have to hand it over to someone who has no emotional investment in it, uh, just a dollar investment, and uh, and they say, well, we we think it should be this, and then they start cutting it and changing it, and uh, so working outside the Hollywood system uh, for us is is uh, very you know the way we like to be right now. Well, in in doing that, how do you? I know a lot of people are going to go, well, how do you how do you get the cast? I mean, you've got these name actors in different movies, and and yet you're outside the system. You go, well, we don't have trailers, we don't have this. How how do you get people like Val Kilmer and Joanne Whaley and Patrick Bergen and, and these people to to sign on? And what what was it that got them in into working with you? Well, um, I, I'm just lucky that that over the years of of living in LA, that they became my friends, you know, and. Ah. Uh, Certainly, going back with uh, with played Gabriel Byrne is is one of my best friends, and you know I admire him as an actor so much. But when Gabriel said yes, he would do it, because I said I'm writing this thing, it's rock and roll, it's 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 totally against uh, you know, it's nothing like Hollywood, no trailers. Or, uh, as soon as Gabriel said yes, he, 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 his name uh, gave it credibility, and uh-huh. then, and Joanne Wally was a friend of mine. She's from my hometown of Manchester, and. Um, so I told Joanne I was doing this, and she she said she was in. And then she said, "Look, uh, you know, Val is never asked to do any of these uh, small movies. Uh, uh, I'm going to, you know, I'll call Val. Here's his number. Give him a call." And uh, you know, so it was kind of a knock-on effect. But Gabriel really gave it credibility, and I, w- I was lucky because, uh, as I said, a lot of them w- were friends, and I've known for for a long, long time. So I was just very lucky. Whoop. Well, that's fantastic, and it is lucky. But at the same time, one of the tenets of my show is is that movie making is about more than making the movie. Mm-hmm. It is about the relationships that you have, and the people that you intersect with, and the and and in developing relationships. And it's who you know, and who knows you, and and all those kind of um, you know ideas. And and when you said, you know, I have a friend, and he said yes, and that helped open other doors. And I had this other friend, and she said yes, and she got me. I mean, that is what I think too many people, and sometimes, you know, our our, our tours of filmmaking think, you know, um, well, I'm going to get this made and I'm going to do it regardless. And they don't really think about the people that they, um, you know, in other words, sometimes we're too focused on film and not enough on, on friends. Yeah, it's, it's- it's really a smart observation, Rex, because you're so right. I mean, a contact, uh, you know, if you can cultivate a contact and, or you befriend someone, I mean, that, that is worth, it's worth so much down the line when you're ready to, to rock and roll and you're ready to pull the trigger on your movie. Because unfortunately, we are, we are in a business where, uh, you know, certainly the studios are like, well, you look at my film and you could have the greatest film on the planet. Their first question is, who's in it? Right. 
you know, and that's right. all they're interested in. How can we sell it, you know? Um, so contacts are really, really valuable. Even if it's, you, you know, you meet someone at, 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 a, at, a, at a coffee shop who works in a post-production house, and if you get on with that person, that could turn into thousands of dollars for you saved. Um, if, if you like the person and they, they, they vibe on what you're doing and, and, and they feed off, off your energy, so, uh, or, or they really like the screenplay, and then, then maybe they would jump in and say, hey, you know what, we got some downtime, you can come in. Um, I really believe in what you're doing. So contacts is, is really a major, major part of, of uh, you know, getting your movie made. Well, and it also, I guess we should also say there's no one too big to be a friend, but also there's no one too small to be a friend because a lot of times people overlook assistance or somebody in, like you say, a post house or, or somebody who may be on the periphery. But uh, these people may be very, very well connected, and the assistant today is the you know producer tomorrow, and you know, or the film funder for you know the future. Uh, but having said all that, it's it's truly about uh, uh, networking and cultivating real friendships. <laughs> you know, I. You know those those that have a mutual win-win two-way street, as opposed to you know I'm going to try and get a list of names and you know and someday make my movie. So, so yeah, no, it has to be it has to come from a genuine place because certainly living in Hollywood, there's a, there's a lot of that. You know, I mean I've been been to like out or receptions or parties and that, and you know no nobody will. Uh, I tell you a quick funny story. I was I was at a friend's sure. birthday party at his house. Uh, uh, it's a British actor called Roy Daltrice. Now, it, the, this guy, is, he's actually in the Guinness Book of Records for the longest uh, one-man show in the West End. And right. um, and he's won two Tonys. And uh, a great, great guy. And I met him through Gabriel. He's just a, a, a great actor. So I was at uh, his birthday party, and I met his agent. Now, his agent, I was introduced to his agent, and just this is Mick, he's an actor. And the agent didn't give me the time of day at all. Just like, oh, pleased to meet you, and was looking beyond me. Um, but that's, you know, you, you, you get that. But, you know, ten minutes later when she heard I had this movie out called Played, and Lionsgate had picked it up, and it had won a few awards, and it had Val Kilmer, and gave, she run right over and gave me her card. We must have lunch. And it was so transparent. And I, and I took a moment, and I gave her the card back and says, no, thank you. Oh wow! Yeah, and she didn't. She, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather be agentless and go with someone like that. So, you know, the right. point is, is when you're building up friendship, it, it's, it, you know, it, it's a two-way thing, and and hopefully, it, it will be a genuine friendship. Because, uh, as I said, out here, there's a lot of people who are just trying to put a move on someone to try and help their, you know, get get to the next level. So, if if you have genuine friendship, that'll last a long time and it'll serve you well in the long run too. And it'll be a two-way thing because like you said, you know, someone who's who's uh, say a receptionist at a studio could be a producer, uh, a post producer could be a producer tomorrow. You never know. Now, no, absolutely very very true. Now, when you're shooting a movie like the the kind that you've written and that you've made and you produced and and and, and you've got this talent, you, you know, you got to a lot of things that you're juggling it's it's not under the it's not under studio purview so you know you don't have you know huge dollars to spend to throw at things if there's problems how do you what do you do i mean what you know i'm sure with the you know when problems arise how do you how do you make it an opportunity to do something i well, it, it's, it's, it can throw you, Rex, but uh, what I found out of it, you know, if you've got a problem, um, 
But what, what it makes you do, it, 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 you haven't got the luxury of going back to the drawing board and saying, okay, how can we fix this? Um, or, you know, we need another $10,000 and uh, that will solve the problem. What it does, it, it makes you trust your instinct. I mean, you have to, and also trust your team. Excuse me. And if you're shooting on the fly and something uh, uh, happens which isn't scripted or we can't get that location, you just really need to, you know, time is of the essence. You haven't got a lot of money. Uh, It makes you think on on the spot and it makes you trust your initial decisions. Um, And I find it quite, uh, quite refreshing because sometimes out of not getting what you want, you can have a happy accident and it can turn out a little better. So, you know, if you're shooting on the fly and you haven't got a permit or you can't get that street that day and you have, a, you know, a quick little powwow and off you go and you can go around the corner and you can see a better location or, you know, some, there's always something you can take out of it and nine times out of ten you will not suffer. It makes you think on your feet, it makes you trust your instincts and it makes you work as a team and I find that great. Um, have you shot each of these three movies in Los Angeles? Um, played the first one was Los Angeles and London, um, because uh, 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 a lot of a lot of the actors there were, were, were friends who lived in London. So as right. I said, I tailored the script so we could go to them rather than bring them here because we couldn't afford to fly anyone in and hotels and that. So uh, so so it was Los Angeles and London for played uh, two twenty two was shot all in Toronto. Um, again, because we were making our strengths work for us, our producer, Lenny Vitondo, is Canadian, and uh, Lenny knows everybody in Toronto. So we, and again, this is about what we were talking earlier, about relationships. Sure. We needed like a scrapyard uh, where, where you can crush a car. And, you know, to go and rent that, if you did it the Hollywood way, it'd be a $30,000 day. You'd have to pay every... Oh, a friend of mine will let us film there. So uh, uh, we, we, we got a lot of locations uh, for free in 222, which saved us a fortune. Uh, so we ended up shooting in Toronto because he's stri- we always knew we wanted to uh, do it in, in a place which was cold and wintry. But uh, And then A Kiss and a Promise, again, it, it was a, a, a story that required for it to be this sleepy little kind of, almost like a European town, and we found that just outside Toronto. So I see. Okay. Well, that's, that's cool. So because the question I had was, you know, if you're shooting outside of L.A., it seems, well, with the exception of Toronto or Vancouver, where there's lots of movies being made, uh, but when you have a producer, as you described, um, that can make things happen, uh, then they happen. But oftentimes when you're shooting outside of Los Angeles, communities you know, will roll out the red carpet for you. They'll say, yeah, come on in and shoot here, uh, mm-hmm. whereas Los Angeles is, is, is more, um, oh, you want to use the front yard of my home? Uh, that'll be you know, $20,000. Uh, <laughs> exactly that. You know, it's, it's much harder to get it done. Very much so, very much so, you know. But the key around that is, is, is you write the exterior of the home and you stand out and film the exterior of the home on the sidewalk. And uh, the illusion is that it's your house in the background and you haven't had to infringe on anybody or pay anyone $20,000. <laughs> well, there you go. You're stealing the shot when necessary. All right. Exactly. <laughs> but, but I hear you, Rex. It is, uh, you know, you, 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 certainly the, 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 the more you go away from, from the hubs like L.A. or New York and it's a smaller town than that, they're, they're, they're only too happy because, A, they're thrilled to have, uh, 
you know, someone, someone in making a movie. Because at the end of the day, whether it's a small movie or a big movie, you're still you're helping the economy in that little small place. You're still buying food at the takeout, whether it's a McDonald's or a high-end restaurant. You're still hiring, uh, you know, a couple of local people there. So, you know, it's a give and take. But most times outside of Hollywood and the big hubs, they, they are very, very happy and excited to have, a, whether it's a small crew or a big crew. They help you, I find. Wow, that, that is that is awesome. I mean, I live in the Milwaukee area now from Los Angeles. I live in the Milwaukee area. And if you go to a lot of the places in Milwaukee, they, you know, especially public buildings or, you know, large office buildings, you know, they want their permit fees. But if you go to one of the suburbs, they'll go, hey, you know, you can shoot. We'll give you police. You know, don't worry about it. You know, take. Yeah. Go ahead. You know, I mean, the, the difference in attitude is amazing. 100%. Um, from, yeah. Yeah. From suburb to uh, to main city. Uh, so let me ask you about, you know, because you also, you write, but you're also the lead. I mean, and, and, in, and in A Kiss and a Promise, uh, you're quite the lead. I mean, you you, you play a, a sociopath, you play a very twisted person. And um, what what is it like to write for yourself? I mean, I mean, you're not, I guess you're not writing for yourself, you're writing for a character. The person mm-hmm. in this case, the, the person was a, based on a real live person. Yeah, um, well, well, writing for yourself because uh, uh, you know played in two twenty two is you know I, I was um, in them too. I mean, obviously as as a team, you know, uh, uh, it's a team effort. But as an actor, uh, you know, if I'm writing, of course I'm going to put myself in in the uh, in, in the lead role and, and try and surround myself with really really you know great great actors. Uh, and so uh, that's always been our plan as as a team. And you know, Philip and I, we would write together. So he's locked in as the director on every project. Um, I I find it actually it's 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 difficult at times um, uh, writing and and uh, you know acting. Certainly, as you write in it, because you you got to separate yourself from from the character you're creating and try and focus on the story. Um, so. It can be a little tricky navigating those waters at times, but but at the same time, it's you're writing something which is tailor made for you, which you're writing it thinking, okay, this is this is the character, and this is this is his movements, this is what's going to happen in the story, so that's really exciting um, because again in 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 Hollywood, and a lot of my friends, are, not a, a lot of them are not working, but the ones who are working, they complain that the material is so bad. It just really is, you know, and cheesy dialogue. So the upside is, is when when you're writing something, you, you can tailor it and and uh, you, you know really bolster it with with great great characters right across the board, um, which is uh, very exciting to play, knowing what you're going to play, you know. So I find it, it it's uh, refreshing on that side. Well, there's something that you managed to artfully avoid, and and with great success, I believe, in in having viewed *A Kiss and a Promise*, and that is some people who write for themselves it becomes very narcissistic and egocentric, and and you know the you know you you can kind of tell this is a whole vanity project, and everybody else, you know, characters aren't as well developed, and but not so with you, you know, you there, there's a very good a wonderfully balanced uh, approach to cast and, and and to the characters and to you know how I mean even though you're the lead character it's, it's like you share the limelight with all these other people it's, it's it, it doesn't come off like well I wrote this for myself which I I have seen you know in other cases 
Me too. Well, thank you for saying that, Rex. I mean, we, we always say that story is first, um, and and that's really what what matters because you have to have a great story right at the beginning. So it, it really isn't about uh, you, know, you know a thousand lines for me and three lines for everybody else. It, it's uh, if it serves the story, the balance will be right. So. Um, yeah, it's always a story. And and going back to what you said earlier about uh, David Beck is uh, it it's it was inspired by uh, true events putting David Beck together. And um, uh, uh, one of them was I was in a London hotel room several years ago and I was watching TV and I saw this guy on TV with his daughter on his knee and his wife at the side of him, and he was looking straight into camera as a news crew, and he said, it's not, he's from Wales in England, he said, it's not good enough, you know, that as a community and, and the police should be doing more to find this missing girl. And he was a, a, a truck driver, and, mm-hmm. uh, and it turned out that he was the killer uh, wow. in re- real life. And I thought, my God, there he is with his daughter on his knee, and, uh, you know, uh, and I just found that fascinating that, that he could, uh, you know, be... be uh, just this loving family man, and yet there was this other side which was masked. And then the other case which fascinated me, and this is a true story, which was in Germany about eight years ago. There was a guy who advertised on the internet to eat somebody, and uh, it's it's true. I think I think Hollywood have bought the rights to it, and he got five, he, he got five responses, and this guy was an accountant, just a very mild mannered guy, and uh, uh, the first guy came and. Uh, he stripped him naked and wrapped him in surround wrap and hoisted him up, and he was going to, you know, uh, kill him. And the guy changed his mind because he got frightened, and they went for pizza together. And I thought, how bizarre. And then the other guy, he chose the second one, and he actually went through with it. And the case, oh, is, still, the case is still pending because his lawyer is saying it's not murder because they were uh, willing participants. So I just found that whole juxtaposition of, of normality and and, and crazy man uh, fascinating to me so I, I, I always knew that uh, you know we wanted to try something a little different a little dark and, and so it's an amalgamation of a, of a few people uh, uh, David Beck wow well you know with with uh, with a, a kiss and a promise with your movie I mean it is it is it's not what you show it's not like you show anything that's that's disturbing in the sense of like traditional blood or gore or any of the kills in that regard it is that juxtaposition that you so successfully create between you know the evil that this person is and the life that he has otherwise and 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 how it's intercut the things that you do i mean i i really found it a you know a compelling movie to watch and to, to be appalled and uh at the same time and and you know so i really i mean you know I really suggest that people go out, good and filmmakers especially, go out and see this movie, and uh, and take a look at it because because you did so much with uh, with uh, with with the rich I guess story to begin with. I mean the story that you created, but you did so much uh, with the movie, and um, I, you know it, it definitely evokes responses. <laughs> So how do you how do you trust your team? I mean, we're going to have to come up to a break here in just a second. But okay. you, you know, you're, you're you're trusting your director and your producer, you know, and the crew, and you're working and you're acting. Um, you know, you got to have you know, like I think a lot of actors they they really want to know how they're doing from a direct, you know from the director. They want to know, am I helping, you know, bring this person to life? And you know, is it yes? Is it no? Do it more or less? What do I need? Um, 
you know, and putting your hands in somebody else. Now, but you've also written it, so you're the writer, and and you're one of the producers, and now you're you're also starring it. How do you how do you juggle all that? How do you trust the, the, those people around you and uh, and work with them uh, to yeah, a successful conclusion? I think it's just having faith in your team, Rex. You know, it's a, uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm very lucky. I have a brilliant, brilliant producer uh, named Lenny Batondo, as you mentioned earlier, and and my writing partner and director of 222 and Kiss and Promise, Philip Guzman, is 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 also you know brilliant. Got a great DP, Philip Roy. It's a very small crew we 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 run with. Um, so it, it's just having, having the trust. You have to have the trust. So when we get to Toronto and we shoot and there's very little money, if there's a problem, certainly when it's time to act, Lenny won't l- let me know, uh, be aware that there's a problem. I mean, he's a class act. And, and with Philip, if, 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 I'm, you know, if, I'm, if I'm off a bit, I expect him to tell me. And certainly with, with A Kiss and a Promise, it's, it was such a... a um, a deep and dark, challenging role that you just have to jump in and and trust that uh, if you, if you mess up, he'll catch you. Um, so it really comes down to uh, being on the same page with with your team uh, and all trying to work to one goal, which is trying to do the best job we can collectively as a unit. So it's trust. It's just trust. Trust your team, uh, um, and that trust comes from obviously you know this is our our, our second movie together. Um, and we're all all aware of each other's uh, weaknesses and strengths, and and we bolster that when necessary. So I'm just very lucky. You know, I think a lot of people, I'm just going to venture an opinion here, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of people, um, when they look at Hollywood and they look at teams and they look at movies, they go, I want to work that, and they they try and get in, and they don't find ready entry. And the conclusion they could draw is, well, these people aren't very friendly or they aren't, they aren't very open or they're not very welcoming, you know, or that Hollywood, even independents, are closed systems and it's, you know, it's tough. And I think that Hollywood is tough mm-hmm. um, with independent films as well as studio films. It's not because people uh, are want it to be tough, but people find people, like it goes back to the relationship that we talked about before, they find people that they trust, that they work well with together, and depending on schedules, they would always work with these people. It's, it's like Spielberg will have the same editor, or Scorsese has the same editor, whenever they can, and in the rare times that they don't, or when people, because of commitments and because of agents, they take other projects, or they have family, or whatever. But, I mean, you find somebody you want to work with, you want to work with them again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And and so it is hard to get in, because those positions get tied up with with people that you find great value with you know and right and and so it goes back to the the notion of creating relationships and teams that are successful for you you know in order to get ahead yeah i I totally agree you know i totally agree and um you know it is very hard for independent movie too i mean it's it's uh it's just a very very difficult business but if if you persevere and as a young filmmaker it be actor director um, if you if you can find someone who's equally as passionate as you are, who who, who sees sees uh, things similar to yourself, um, then then that's worth a lot of money in, in terms of you know it's va- it's a valuable friendship which uh, you can roll as a team. Then you're not alone thinking how can I get in? How can I get in? Um, and and you know it, it, people down the line if they're busy or their schedules change, they will come back and work with you. Um, if if they respond to your passion 
and uh, well, like we said earlier so I, I think I think it's really really important is is to is to try and surround yourself with with, uh, with a team that uh, have same goals and visions as you. Awesome. Well, we're at that point where we're going to take a uh, short break here uh, so that I can kind of uh, remind people what they're listening to. So hang in there with me, Mick, and we'll be right back, okay? Thank you, Thank you Rex. Okay. You're listening to RexSykes.com. That's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com, the official website of Rex Sykes Movie Beat. If you're listening to this live or archived, please go ahead. Once the player closes down, leave comments. And you got to wait until the player closes down for the comment window to appear right there at Blog Talk Radio. But do leave comments. Friend us. Follow us right there for Blog Talk uh, because it helps us extend our reach. And if you value these interviews of professional filmmakers sharing their expertise with you, they're giving it away. So all we ask you to do is give a little something in return, and that is share these interviews with others and leave comments or rate and review the shows. If you're listening to this as a podcast, go ahead and rate and review it so that others can uh, look at your comments and uh, or your review and uh, and decide, too, that they wish to listen. Um, a couple of announcements. I've got a lot of great guests coming up in the near future, so stay tuned to uh, Rex Sykes' Movie Beat. And, uh, and you can go to the website and look at some of those guests, or you can... Uh, uh, pay attention to the Twitters and the, and the Facebook pages and things like that about when these things are announced. I have a special personal announcement to say that I am no longer in, in any way associated with the movie Billy Club. Uh, for reasons I'm not going to go into, I just say I wish them well, I hope they make a good movie, and uh, I have other projects that I need to move on to, and so uh, I announce that because uh, some of you have asked, and uh, and but I am no longer associated with them, and uh, and so that's the information I'm giving out. Other than that, uh, my next guest coming up will be uh, Paul Batista. He's an entertainment attorney. We're going to be talking about entertainment law and legal things that you need to know in order to get your movies made and and uh, and distributed. So without uh, any further hesitation, we're going to come back to uh, Mr. Mick Rossi. The movie is A Kiss and a Promise, and it debuts tomorrow night, premieres tomorrow, the 8th of September, 2011, at the uh, Sunset Lamel 5 Theater on Sunset, right there at 9,000 block, as I recall. And the website is akissandapromise.com, and if I've misspoken, Mick is going to correct me. All right, Mick, is that correct? <laughs> 8,000 Sunset. 8,000 Sunset. Okay. <laughs> right. yeah, well, 9,000 Sunset would put us up. Yeah, you're right, you're right. 8,000. Is it, is it, we're, um, 8,000 Sunset. It's Sunset and Crescent Heights on the corner. Um, oh yes, 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 yes. Where the old Schwabs used to be. I, I grew up yeah, in Schwabs. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I grew up in Schwabs. For some reason, when I when I said it when we when I listened earlier, I was thinking uh, down by the where it used to be the old playhouse. Uh, sorry, the old Playboy uh, uh, building it had uh, a theater in it, and um, I think that was it wasn't nine thousand though. It was over like near Alta Loma or something. Anyway, oh, okay. anyway, enough. Okay. Uh, it's a, there's a big black skyscraper that's over there somewhere. That's what I was hitting my head. So uh, I apologize. Uh, the Lemley Theater at Crescent Heights and Sunset. So this story that uh, mm-hmm. about this uh, serial killer. Why why were you so driven to tell this story? Well, um, we, we always knew um, as a team and uh, uh, that we wanted to change it up after 222, which was uh, you know a heist movie, and. Um, as I said, those two incidences uh, that I, I read about and saw on the news about those two uh, sociopath uh, uh, 
uh, people that stayed with me and uh, and I just found it fascinating that world so uh, and also it was very challenging for all of us to make a movie like this and I felt if we if we uh, if we got through this it would make us stronger you know stronger actors stronger writers and just better filmmakers uh, across the board and uh, so it was a challenge but it it was also um it was intriguing to us as filmmakers to try and tackle something like this. We we wanted to give it a shot, you know. Now it premieres tomorrow, and it is in LA. Is there a chance that people can see it otherwise, if it, or do they wait, or or is there um, any other plans for it that the that we haven't announced that allow people to to get a quick view of this somewhere? Well, not right now, Rex, because it's it's this is going to be the premiere, okay. as you said. And yeah, it's in its, yeah, it's in its early stages, so um, we're hoping um, we're hoping after this that uh, uh, we'll be able to announce a uh, you know a DVD release um, worldwide. Um, so that that aside, it's it's just uh, you know it's, it's just an exclusive run here in Los Angeles, and uh, obviously if we get a good response, that will be extended and. Uh, uh, um, yeah, you know, and then then there'll be announcements. Uh, if you st- go to the website, uh, uh, com, we have uh, regular updates on that. It'll tell it'll tell everybody where where we're at and the progress of the movie. But right now, it's uh, it's not available because it's our theatrical opening here. Well, that's good, and I'm glad you said that because that was the, the next thing I would follow up with. Is just stay tuned to their website because uh, uh, you you are going to want to see this movie, and when it's available, then then. That's how you will know. Uh, that is awesome. How do you get your movie seen? I mean, that's uh, something everybody wants to know. How do you get these out? How do you how do you get them to an audience? I I, I think um, you know the great thing about independent films is is once they're done, and this is a wonderful wonderful thing. Uh, uh, is is there's so many film festivals now, and that you know it's all we have as as, as independent filmmakers. We don't have the luxury of a studio. Uh, behind it, giving you this release and that release. So uh, certainly, what we did is is you you just really attack the uh, fil- the film festivals aggressively. I mean, there's over 70 film festivals in the U.S. alone, whether they're small ones or big ones or medium range ones. So that that is really uh, um, you know the, the first plan of attack is is the film festival. And if you're lucky to get in and you, your movie gets a bit a bit of heat then it can change the, the, the course of the movie overnight. Um, so film festivals is definitely the way to go, and there's more and more popping up now. Uh, and, and that can keep you busy for a whole year. You know. Then you've got the European film festivals. So that's, that's really your first, point, you know, first stop is, is uh, film festivals, and they're, they're a great, uh, a great uh, platform for young filmmakers. Awesome. Uh, great advice. Great advice. Do you do you do you have any uh, extra advice on how you might choose a film festival for your feature? Do you do you look at it like based on what your content is, or do you just go, uh, I'm going to submit to all the big ones, or or do you start small? How how do you do, how does you and your team uh, approach this? If you don't mind me asking. 
Well, I mean, you always aim high, so you do the standard ones, which is, you know, Cannes Film Fest in Toronto and that, and it's like winning the lottery on those. You know, if you get in, then you've hit the jackpot, because um, the same people who have turned your movie down will be calling you. <laughs> uh, so what we, uh, cer- certainly um, what, what we did on, on A Kiss and a Promise is I studied uh, uh, some movies that were similar territory, like, uh, uh, you know, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer was one, uh, there's a Dutch Dutch film called a short film about killing, um, and there was a couple of others in there. And I can't remember now, but I, I I did a little research on similar genres and found out what festivals they'd. Uh, and this is going back uh, a good sure. ten fifteen years. What festivals that responded to those people uh, to those type of films. Um, so that was the plan of attack on A Kiss and a Promise. So if you've got a genre film, like uh, if you've got a horror movie, then Toronto have a, have a section which is outside of the main fest- film festival called Midnight Madness. Now that is where you would go first because it's, uh, it's, it's, they screen the movies at midnight and they're predominantly horror movies. So, uh, so you just have to do a little research on each film festival. Some of them are just normal and neutral and you just send it in. Well, that's great advice because what it demonstrates is that you know you're thinking and you're producing you know and you're working with your film and you're doing your own market research essentially you know where is the best fit where might my film get uh, yes. you know the most bang for its buck essentially and and I think that that uh, you know a smart and wise use of your time obviously especially if you're a filmmaker and you've invested all this time and energy and and whatever dollars you have in making your movie um, do your research so that that I appreciate you saying that that's very very cool. The, the look and I mean I'm kind of jumping around here, but the look and feel of this movie you, you've got kind of a a great gritty style to it. Um, how did you choose that look and and um, you know what was your motivation for for this particular approach and how and how if you don't mind me asking how do you how do you I, I always like to ask directors and producers how do you come up with the look of your movie at the end of the day and I'm going to throw another question in once once you're done because I, I okay. think. Uh, well, well, the look—the look is we always knew we wanted it to be a very European feel movie, uh, feeling movie. So we we wanted to create uh, a, a place where it was filmed where it, it 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 didn't have an identity. The place it could be anywhere. Um, so you know you you could be looking at a little sleepy town in in Germany or or in Holland. So we we were certainly drawn to those those uh, stark cold images of, of European movies. Um, and how we came up with that is we have a brilliant DP called Philip Roy, who our director, Philip Guzman, works closely with. And, uh, uh, you know, he's a very talented man. I mean, a lot of the descriptions is in the script, was in the narrative, but uh, uh, it, it's really down to his eye. Uh, so we're very lucky again. Okay, because it, it, it does. I mean, it has a, a, a particular look and a particular feel to it. And part of that feel, and this is the, the, the follow-up question, is is the pacing of the movie. Now, it seems very deliberately paced, and uh, I don't know how to articulate that any better. There are some movies, like an action movie, you know, there's there's wild action, and it, it seems to fly by. There's movies like Lars and the Real Girl, which, for whatever length of time the movie is, seems to take days to get to an end. Um, mm-hmm. But deliberately so. As I don't mean that in a pejorative sense about the movie. It just it has a very, for me, when I watch Lawyers in the Real Girl, very slow kind of thing. Your movie is has got a very deliberate kind of pace and style with it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you? How did you come up with? That? I mean, is that, is that between you know the acting in the scenes and the and, and the editing of the film? You, you know, you you you've put this. Together. Am I making any sense with what I'm? 
you, you are making what sense. I mean, it, 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 what we wanted to do with the pace of the movie, we, we wanted it to, for, for, and hopefully the audience will get this, is, is for it to unfold at a pace of, of normal life. Um, uh-huh. And when you when you see David Beck, uh, for, you first meet this guy on screen. It's just like an everyday Joe, you know. He's going mm-hmm. to the store. He's, he, so uh, it was just a, it was a deliberate uh, uh, call on our part to actually just have it unfold. Normal, normal, normal guys helping the little old lady into the car and giving her a ride home, and until it reaches a point where where, where you get a glimpse of who who this guy is and what's in you know who he really is, then the pace picks up a little bit. So it, it was a deliberate move uh, on the pacing, Rex. And as I said, and I, without giving anything away, some of, some of these scenes were just so brilliantly juxtaposed that, that, that they're horrific without being gory. I mean, they're not, you know, it's, it, in one scene in particular that comes to mind, there's no gore at all. It's mm-hmm. just wrenching. It's it's gripping. It's you know, It has to do with some parents and things. And, and, uh, and, what, and what this, you know, a horrible person also is doing at the time. I mean, you know, and it, it, I, I want to leave it for the audience to see, but I mean, I, I just watched it, you know, going, oh my goodness. And uh, well, I, I think the power of suggestion um, can be uh, equally strong, if not stronger, than actually showing, uh, you know, gore or blood or or someone getting shot in the head or, or whatever it may be. Um, and we were certainly in, in, in the territory that we wanted to so we were inspired by, you know, Polanski's Rosemary's Baby and Hitchcock. Uh, so the pl- power of suggestion is, is, is can be creepy, you know, and, and, and certainly uh, the scene you're talking about, uh, uh, which was beautifully portrayed and played by an actress called Sheila Birmingham, and I don't want to give anything away, but it's right. raw emotion that can really rip someone's heart out uh, uh, and disturb something, and it can stay with you and resonate with you. Um, so, you know, again, it was a it was a conscious effort on our, our part, and plus we didn't have the money to, to 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 do any of the real tricky stuff, you know. So it was just all very real. Well, it was, you know, I. I, I just, I'm just, I, I'm impressed by how, you know, I mean, the, the overall movie, but I was so impressed, deeply gripped, you know, and, and appalled at the same time, but so impressed with the, the choices, those editing choices, those scripting choices that you made there, because it really does, you know, kind of drive home what, what this is all about. This is, this is a, a truly sick individual, mm-hmm. and, um, and um, and you 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 play him so well. <laughs> this this very good. Is, was there any? How did it affect you at the end of the day? I mean, are you are you a method actor? Are you somebody who who takes your work home, or were you able to turn him on and off? I don't actually know what type of actor I am. Um, I, I I certainly uh, um, it did affect me, but I wasn't aware of it. My my wife tells me, it, it, you know, I brought brought him home a little bit, but. Uh, uh, it, it was just very, very disturbing, and, and I had to go to such dark places as an actor and dig really, really deep. Um, and looking back on it, I, I, I guess it was a kind of method type type of way of putting this guy together. And it did stay with me for, for a, I, I think, about eight weeks after I, I finally found Mick coming through again. So uh, it was kind of a bit strange for me because I've never experienced anything like that. Wow, wow. Well, glad to have Mick back. 
<laughs> yes, me too. My yeah. wife is too. <laughs> but she is. I bet she is. Yeah. So is there is there much of a difference for you as an actor to relate to, uh, again, trying to to uh, base something off of a real person? I don't know how much you you use the the person as inspiration in terms of your portrayal versus um, uh, uh, playing a made-up person. Well, uh, the the inspiration was the foundation. Uh, of, uh, of of the character, uh, the interpretation was was my interpretation uh, as an actor. Um, I think it's great when you can draw on real life incidences because it does give you a, a, a rooted foundation and a, and a starting point uh, of factual uh, uh, just factual information, you know. So, uh, and an actor is always searching for truth. Uh, you know, a good actor, you know, the, the key to acting is not to get caught acting. Um, so uh, it, it really helps. Uh, it certainly helped me that it, I was starting from a point of, of a foundation based in factual truth. Wow! Wow! That's that's that is uh, wow. Now, I, I, again, I'm going to just switch very abruptly and ask yep. you. And I and I don't typically ask this question ever of anyone, but I will ask it of you because um, one of the actresses in the movie is a spitting image of her mom. Yeah, and Natasha. Natalie, yeah. Go yeah. ahead. Sorry. Ray. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. No, you go Natasha. ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you first. You first. Uh, Natasha Gregson Wagner, who is the daughter of uh, Natalie Wood, and and Robert Wagner, correct? Well, actually, Robert Wagner is, is a is a step daddy. Uh, uh, okay. Um, she actually has two dads, she tells me. But the, okay. the, here's a cl- classic case of what we were talking about earlier. Now. Seven, eight years ago, I was at a party and I met Natasha. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we were talking, got on grade, and, you know, I find, found her, a, a, you know, a lovely, lovely person. And um, so and I'd only met her, you know, I met her a couple of times after that. But that stayed with me. And when we, when we finished writing a, a Kiss and a Promise, I was thinking, God, who would be great for to, to play my wife? You know, need someone with with you know, uh, you know, very kind of quirky, offbeat quality who could really uh, jump in and and really you know get their teeth into this material. Uh, and so it was my meeting her many many years ago that stayed with me. So it was like what we were talking earlier about contacts. And so uh, uh, you know, I just uh, I called her up and uh, and said, would would you like to read this script and I actually wrote it with uh, with uh, with you in mind, you know. Well, Philip and I wrote it with her in mind. Uh, I just thought she was terrific, yeah? uh, just really, really great, and uh, really just thrilled to uh, work alongside her. Well, that's that's very cool, and and she does. She reminds the, you know, I think she reminds all probably of her mother, and uh, and wow. I mean, it's good to see her on the screen. Let let yeah. me ask you this, and we're almost out of time here, but uh, but don't let that. Don't let that determine the length of your answer by any means. Um, this was your second project with Philip Guzman, the first being 222, you know, um, and uh, with Val Kilmer. Um, do you have any more collaborations planned for the future? I mean, it sounds like you do, but but what, what where are you now? What's what's coming coming down the pike from you guys? We just finished writing um, the sequel to 222, um, which is called The Pickup. And uh, we're going to try and up our game a little bit and try and get a little bit more money. Um, so we're in the process right now of trying to raise money for that, or Lenny is. And um, it's, as I said, it's a sequel to 222, which was a heist movie. And uh, we're being very ambitious here, Rex, because we're shoot. Excuse me, we're going to shoot in um, 
back in Toronto, which is our, you know, we always feel very comfortable there. But we're doing four days in the Bahamas, and we're doing oh, ten wow. days in, and ten days in Paris. And again, wow. the, the Bahamas because Lenny has some contacts there, so we we have a, uh, a you know mansion for free. So we're like, okay, we're going to write that in, and uh, <laughs> right. you, you go where your strengths are. So our production value is going to look like a million dollars there. So so the script is finished. As I said, it's called The Pickup. It's a great great movie, and uh, uh, it's a great script. And we're in the process of uh, raising money for that. And it's the same team. It's co-written by myself and Philip. Um, I'm I'm uh, uh, playing the lead, uh, and there's going to be some characters coming back from the original uh, 222, uh, Val Kilmer, Gabriel Byrne, and um, uh, Lenny Batondo is producing. Philip Roy is the DP. So, wow, how next. cool! Hopefully, 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 Rex. You know. <laughs> Well, that is awesome. Now, I do have a question from the chat room I'd like to ask, uh, and it's from uh, Kelly. And Kelly mm-hmm. says, hello, has Mr. Rossi done any dark comedies or only drama thriller? Uh, only drama thrillers uh, uh, up to now. I mean, it's, my friends tell me I'm, I'm funny and we should do a comedy. I've, I've actually written a couple of comedies, um, and that is certainly uh, uh, uh you know, in the future to try. Because what we want to do, Rex, as, as, as a team, is, is we do want to change it up a little. And if you look, what, what you said earlier uh, stayed with me. If you look about building relationships, people do, it, certainly in the 70s, it was the same actors and the same crew and uh, a lot of mm-hmm. the same people would be in different, you know, they'd be like Dog Day Afternoon, they'd be same same people that were in a, a Marathon Man. And so as a team, we want to keep this team going and, and certainly mix it up. Uh, so uh, a black comedy, we actually have a couple on, on, on the box, and hopefully we'll make them uh, in, the, in the near future, you know. Oh, very cool, very cool. Uh, now somebody asked, and, and, and then we probably, let's see how much time we actually have. Um, well, we've got a few minutes, I mean, but, okay. uh, and I don't know how you're doing, but, but we have a, 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 another kind of comment statement from Mike. Mike Glancy says, um, it seems like everybody's trying, always trying to uh, get dollars for their projects. I mean, that's always the hardest part, no doubt. Um, so are there any tips or suggestions or anything? I mean, with, you know, some people are very private about how they raise money, and so we don't want you to give anything away that, that would, you know, uh, you wouldn't want to, but are there any tips or secrets or or ideas that you might relay in terms of how you go about finding funds for independent films? Well, I mean, that, that's that's a tough question, Mike, but it's, it's a good question. Um, you know, it, it's really a just, just about networking. Whether whether you're in even in a, in a grocery store and you start, just put it out there. Ask your friends, do they know, you know, their friends or, you know, someone's, uh, you know, your father could be a rich dentist. I mean, it takes all sorts. But 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 what I would do is is if you you're trying to raise money and you've got you've got a script written, do something where you can shoot a scene of it even in your bedroom or your backyard or or you know out in the woods or whatever the the scene may be, and that uh, that you can do yourselves. You can edit it at home. And it'll cost you nothing. But what it will do, it will give a potential investor uh, a little uh, insight into, you know, what he what he may be investing in. So, uh, uh, you know, have your tools ready, and those tools you can, you, they cost nothing. Shoot a trailer, 
shoot scenes of, of a movie and cut it together. And you you can even use famous music. You can use the Stones or, or, or any of these great bands or the Doors or whatever it may be because that's free for you as long as you don't show that in a public place. So you cut a trailer together that you've shot in your bedroom or your backyard. You put a Stone song with it. You cut it very cool. It's lit good. It looks impressive to an investor. Wow, that's, that's very cool. Uh, now, I have an important follow-up question for that. Mm-hmm. Can they use Slaughter and the Dogs music? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, man. <laughs> use what oh, you want. There's, there's, <laughs> there's several albums add, out there. Yeah, yeah, of course, just, yeah. Yeah, no, I said I, that's because Mick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, he, he formed the cult band. British. If, if you just tuned in, he had formed the British punk, the British punk rock band Slaughter and the Dogs, and he's written and produced several albums with Slaughter and the Dogs uh, back then. And so I thought, since he was mentioning music, I would ask if we could use his own music. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> don't want to put you on the spot, but yeah, just a little bit. But yeah, absolutely. Steal all you want, guys. No problem. <laughs> No, 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 no! Don't steal it. You can't use it uh, Ill- illegitimately. But I mean, uh, off, off me, off me. I'm giving you. I'm saying yes. You can take <laughs> any of the songs. Wow. Well, you have been uh, just an awesome wealth of of wisdom, and your passion and your enthusiasm comes through in your voice and how you how you talk and how you speak and 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 and, and how you convey the information about this movie. I again, I, I found it a phenomenal movie to watch, a disturbing movie to watch, and a really, really, really great performance by you. And to know that you wrote it, and produced it, and you worked with this team to, to pull it off. How long did it take to shoot? Uh, we shot it in three weeks. Um, uh, and what what we did prior to that, and this is the great thing about Lenny Bitondo, he flew, he flew uh, the crew in. I mean, well, just three or four of, of uh, Philip and the DP about three weeks before. So uh, uh, you, you know, we had all our pre-production down. So so when it comes to shoot time, you can pretty much make your schedule. Uh, also, what's really important, Rex, is if you if you're planning a shoot, is do your pre-production. You know, find your locations months ahead or weeks ahead, uh, uh, so so you, you're not you're not uh, turning up there and the clock's rolling and you and you're still searching for certain locations or or, or you're trying to iron out the script. Try and get as much done before you pull the trigger as possible. Um, so uh, the, then the, the, you know the shoot should go predominantly smooth, hopefully. But it was three weeks in total. Well, you wore so many hats, and, and one of the things that you you mentioned before I want to I want to kind of bring back was the uh, the idea that um, I, as a producer, I always think the producer's job is to free up the director so the director can concentrate on getting the story and the performances up on the screen, and especially if the the director is a co-producer. Well, in this case, the lead actor is a co-producer and the or a producer and a writer, so you have uh, your producer Lenny and, and your director Philip. Who are there to take that those burdens off of you so that you can concentrate on on the performance? And you mentioned that earlier. Can you talk a little bit more, maybe, about how that works before we go? Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, we're all. I mean, Lenny's the main producer, and uh, you know, myself and Philip and Philip Roy, the DPR, are the co-producers. And and what what we do, we work as a unit up until uh, 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 first day of principal photography. So, you know, writing the script uh, and then going out locations and then trying to lock cast in and and really getting it to that stage. Uh, And then once we hit uh, a first day of principal photography, then 
Philip is no longer a producer, he's a director. I'm no longer a producer, I'm an actor. Uh, the same with our DP. And then uh, our great producer, Lenny Batondo, then you know, takes full responsibility, takes the reins, and brings the ship in. So that's how we work, and it works great for us. But that also takes a lot of trust and a lot of discipline, I mean, just to be able to let go of your own baby in, in, in that regard, I would imagine. It does, Rex. Yeah, it does. But then, then you know, we are, we actually take a step back and think, well, it's everybody's baby, you know. So um, you feel good because you're handing a part of uh, something you've created over to someone who equally cares as much as uh, as you do. So it's easier then to say, okay, guys, I'm here as an actor, and uh, you know, let's go. You know. Well, those are such sage words. I mean, that is that is sound. True sound advice, because I know a lot of people, but probably myself included, you know, would would continue to want to micromanage and 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 do everything. It was recently on a on a shoot that was not unlike that, where somebody had written the script, was going to star in the script, was producing the script, and, and had a lot of trouble just giving it up. And we would, you know, go back and go, you have to just stop now. You know, yeah. it's in other people's hands. And so so, what, I mean, I compliment you. I, I think that's great. And and what you just said. Is is the notion, and, and I guess that's what what people are trying to convey. But but you said it so artfully, and that was you know you 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 give it over to people who care as much as you do. And I, I don't think many people think that that's true about their partners. And when you have partners like that, that that speaks great volumes for the relationships that you've built. And I and I appreciate that so much. Oh, thank you, Rex. Well, we are we are at that point where we are out of time. You have again, you've been fabulous. I really appreciate it. I'm going to ask you to give the website and the uh, premiere information out before we go. But I, I really appreciate. It. I, I can't wait to have you back at another time and, and share more about other things and and about the maybe the upcoming project. Uh, it's called the pickup. The pickup, yeah. You know, you know, or, or other things as well. But I, I truly do appreciate this mix. This has been a, a fascinating time and well worth listening. And and please, I invite all of my listeners to share this, you know, uh, and and spread the word uh, far and wide on this interview and as as all of them. But but go ahead and please uh, give out the information again. And let people know about it. And I, I will, Rex. And first off, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, wow, the, you know, the hour went really fast. So. Uh, uh, just, just wonderful. Uh, uh, thanks again. So our movie premieres uh, uh, at Sunset Five, uh, Lumley Sunset Five here in Los Angeles. Uh, um, uh, uh, Kissing the Promise, and there's four shows a day. It opens tomorrow, and uh, uh, it, it's it's a, a great movie. So please come out and support independent film. You can get all the information you want off uh, at kissingthepromise.com. And thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. You know, I, I get a second question. How, can they find the the, the player or, or the high, uh, uh, 222 on DVD, or, or how can they see those movies or, or yeah. any of your other work? Played is on uh, the first movie. Played uh, uh, is on DVD and Netflix and Redbox and all the other uh, 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 outlets. And 222 is on Blu-ray and DVD, and you can get that on Netflix and Blockbuster. And uh, both those movies you can actually buy on DVD as well as rent. So they're at the local uh, uh, rental places and also on the online uh, uh, chains, too. All right. Well, fantastic, Mick. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you in just a few minutes as a reminder, but but thank you so much for being here, for sharing your expertise uh, with us. Uh, again, I encourage everyone to see this movie, A Kiss and a Promise, uh, especially if you like things that are going to grip you and uh, and kind of horrify you without being 
gory. I mean, it's just it's an amazing movie. So uh, thank you again, and uh, and uh, have a great uh, rest of the day and a great, fabulous week. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure, Rex. Thank you. Goodbye. Okay, goodbye. That was uh, Mr. Mick Rossi. He was the writer, the producer, and the lead actor in a movie that opens tomorrow called A, Cri- a Kiss and a Promise. And uh, it was just a pleasure having him here. A very fascinating man and, and an incredible guest. Musician, writer, producer, actor. And uh, if you haven't heard all of the interview, go back and listen to it. And please, again, share all of these interviews um, you know, with all of your friends and industry connections. We've got A-list listeners all the way to newbie filmmakers and fans all internationally who listen to the show, and I'd like to make it the number one show in the world. Uh, Why? Because I think that my guests are so generous in sharing their expertise and their wisdom and their experience with you that they should be heard by everyone. And the way that we do that is by you putting it out there. The shows are given out free, so you can freely share them. You can post and repost these links. Please leave comments when the player closes down at Blog Talk Radio. You can comment at uh, iTunes, rate and review the shows. You can follow us. You can. I didn't ask Nick if he had a Twitter address that he wants to follow. But check out Facebook, too, because there may be a, a, a Kiss and a Promise Facebook page. If not, um, I'll have to ask him about it and put that information up on the website later. But um, you can follow me at Twitter at Rex Sykes Movie BT. That's Rex Sykes Movie BT. Uh, we have a friends page, Rex Sykes Movie Beat Friends on Facebook. Come there. Uh, you can like and follow, I believe, uh, the Blog Talk Radio site. And I have a new uh, new Rex Sykes Movie Beat channel on YouTube, which has some of the, some interviews on video, and you can go and subscribe, or you can go and watch those videos. I should mention that. But you guests have been awesome. People in the chat room are always wonderful to have when you listen live. Uh, we get to interact. If you're listening to this archived, obviously you don't get to be in the chat room, but uh, but you still get to participate uh, in in gaining. Uh, incredible information and incredible advice from professional filmmakers who are sharing their expertise for you because Movie Beat is really designed to be a resource for you and that is why I'm connecting you up with the professional filmmakers and that is why I ask you to connect us up with other listeners and readers. So, again, I want to thank Mr. Uh, Mick Rossi for being here and to you, the readers and listeners of Movie Beat. We've got many more exciting guests coming up in the near future, so be sure to stay tuned. And again, please keep sharing this website and these interviews with all your friends and contacts. All right, everybody, have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects, and until we meet again, that is a wrap. Thank you, everybody.